Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. What should we think about masturbation? (laughs) My guest in this episode is Vic Liu, an artist and information designer who makes books that aim to make the world a little better. One way the world could be a little better is probably if we all had better wank lives. Who needs a sex life if your wank life is hot and fulfilling? One of Vic's books is called Bang. It's a guide about masturbation for people of all genders and abilities. The book busts the myths that stop us busting our nuts. (laughs) I'm sorry. It suggests various techniques to try on yourself or a partner, and it puts masturbation at the heart of a good relationship with your own body. Some days I think wanking could save us all, and thankfully Vic was on hand to show me how. (laughs) Vic Lou, welcome to Free Sex. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so great to speak to you because I've been uh, reading through Bang! exclamation mark and really <laughs> enjoying it. And I just have to ask you, what does free sex mean to you? I think that it's pretty impossible to talk about well-being without talking about the fact that our world continues to have all these crises and it always feels Mm -hmm. like there's a new one and the reason we move off of the first one is because there's another one that comes up not because the first Mm -hmm. one is resolved so Mm -hmm. 
I mean, if I were to imagine a situation where everyone in the world was able to go have whatever pleasure they wanted or to seek the pleasure they wanted without being stifled or smothered or oppressed, whether by society or politics or resources, I think we'd have to have quite a different culture, but also we would have to have like different availability of resources. Like people need to Mm -hmm. be able to afford their rent and not be stressed out about that. It's pretty hard to orgasm if you don't have a steady income, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that is going to be the, the sound bite of the day. (laughs) Right. Or if you have to share a home with a bunch of other people, including some that you may be not comfortable having an orgasm, right close to yeah and okay i can't i can't say that there is a scientific report that is saying statistically people who are more considered concerned about climate change orgasm less that is not something we can say (laughs) however i would not be surprised i would not be surprised if that were the case (laughs) yeah yeah and um, I want to talk uh, about about Bang, this book that you um, pulled together, um, that you wrote and you got other contributors to do, because I think that, um, you know, you've you've just made it made a huge um, broad picture there about the, the, the state of the world and how that affects how we have sex or how we think about sex in our bodies. And then you've also written this. Um, amazing book which is about finding pleasure with yourself it's all about masturbation which is a word that I sort of can't say without my glasses on the end of my nose I have to say the word wanking (laughs) because that is and and that applies to all genders and sexualities and body types and I've heard lots of people use it and also I don't know it's just the word that I use for it um and so you know which is this like completely the opposite of the global picture and the you know and the and everything else that's going on it's this really really local thing of like each individual in our own bodies so I really want to draw out the contrast between these two things and um, and to think through um, wanking <laughs> with you within that context and um, and how we can get there. So can you tell me about Bang, this book, which used to be a zine and how it all came together and why you did it? Yes. OK, so we are going to get a little bit dark, but then it will get happier. Just just a okay. content warning. OK, Um. So Bang was born out of my college experience of so many people I love, myself included, being sexually assaulted in ways that were not how the larger system describes sexual assault. Like having our consent violated wasn't something that you could run to the nearest alarm bell and slam it and people would come in with all the resources to fix what happened. Um, and, and also there weren't as many bad guys as people warned us about, right? It's not like one bad guy. It's really just the culture, our education had failed us, right? So mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of sexual assault happens and this isn't all of sexual assault, obviously, but I would say a ton of, a, a large portion of sexual assault happens in this gray area when two people who've been told this is how you act um, Mm -hmm. during sex 
try their best to navigate an extremely delicate and vulnerable space with someone mm-hmm. while trashed on <laughs> shitty college beer <laughs> or something <laughs> right. like that. Um, so it's kind of doomed to fail. So yeah. we created Bang as a zine first. Um, mm-hmm. I really wanted to have a space for there to be sexual empathy. So it mm-hmm. does start with just masturbation, but it, it, because it draws in all genders and abilities, it means that in the book we have created this utopia where you can just learn yeah. about other people's bodies um, from their own perspective, crucially. It's not about like, how yeah. do you manipulate someone's body with these genitalia? It's rather, yeah. how does someone with these genitalia seek pleasure on their own? And how can yeah. we have this conversation from a place of safety and mutual respect? Right. Um, so that's where the zine came from. And then I got tired of slogging it around in my backpack. (laughs) Right. Cause you were self-publishing, right. And you were taking it to bookshops to sell and distributing it yourself really. Yeah. Right. And there is, I, I actually really appreciated that experience because you get to meet a lot of local bookstore people Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, the people who are really like on the ground but I also was done with it (laughs) so I submitted it to microcosm and um I thought that they were just going to reprint the zine and do the distribution for me um but they got back to me and they were like you know if it was 64 pages longer it would have a spine and books that have a spine do a lot better at bookstores. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, God damn it. Okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but this is what a publisher is great for, isn't it? Because they can really like turbo boost what you're trying to do and who you're trying to reach. Right. And then so Bang became a book. And then recently the second edition of Bang came out and it's even bigger. And it's it yeah. grew a whole two ounces, which was really fun oh, wow. to see. <laughs> yeah. What's been the response to it? Oh, um, well, as you can imagine, the response runs a whole gamut. (laughs) So I definitely got a decent amount of uh, anonymous, not actually anonymous, but random stranger Facebook Mm -hmm. messages that were Mm -hmm. quite religious, (laughs) (laughs) quoting the Bible at me. And I'm like, well, okay. Not my, uh, it doesn't really hit for me, the Bible, because I'm not religious. So. Um, but on the other hand, I've gotten some really, really lovely responses, especially from individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. I I hold those very dearly. You don't, not every reader Mm -hmm. will write the author and be like, oh my gosh, this changed my life. Um, so I don't actually know every single person's impact obviously but the ones that I hold dear are ones where like people are are like this is this book allowed me to talk to my teenage daughter after she came out about sex and stuff like that yeah um yeah and actually to um kind of think about where it came from that dark place that you mentioned um a few minutes ago it I think it does a really it just does an amazing job of um of saying uh, to people like okay this is how um, you can learn about your own body find pleasure in your own body and and that that just will in theory automatically 
fortify you when you also if you want to share your body with someone else um and then also they're sharing their body with you so then you also might have more information and knowledge about where they might be coming from and what their body looks like and and just be able to like understand the power in the question like what do you like (laughs) and what Mm -hmm. would you what would you enjoy as you know what what should we do now that kind of thing um and I think it's just really something that's missing in how we talk about sex a lot of the time about um because we talk about it a bit like how you said at the beginning where we talk about it most often like uh, that it's about two people um or even two or more people and we don't often I just think there's not enough focus on sex with ourselves and that that really has to be that's like the 101 right it it's I always say that masturbation's an absurdly long and crunchy word for yeah something that's as simple as your relationship with your own body right like we are expected to have a relationship with our brain (laughs) and it's odd that we don't aren't we still have to break through the taboo of having a relationship with our own body yeah yeah and um there's a there's a line at the very beginning of the book that I just wanted to ask you to um explain and unpack a little bit um about how that sets up the book uh, for you and how that sets up an approach to masturbation or wanking or having a relationship with your body. And the line is, this book is for who you are when no one's around. Don't let anybody mess with them. (laughs) Can you say a bit more about that line? Yeah, I think that we put on a lot of different personas. Um, They're Mm -hmm. not wrong personas, but Mm -hmm. for example, something I always say is when you're in a relationship, you're also in a relationship with who you are in that relationship, um, not just with the other person. And we focus so much on being able to live that persona, not just within the relationship, but like who we are at work, who we are at the grocery store, who we want to be perceived as. Um, And there's this conversation of alone time that feels like all it's doing is trying to patch you up so that you can go back to being that external self. Um, And I kind of wanted this book to celebrate who you are alone, you know, like that, that person's really important too. It's not just a a respite from being an external person. It is someone who is genuine and authentic and worthy. And that is kind of the place where hopefully all the other personas will stem from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you had to um, kind of think about that for, for yourself? I mean, I'm just wondering where you sit on the introvert extrovert spectrum <laughs> and whether that placement has sort of driven this work and this writing and that realization a bit. Um, I feel like the whole introvert extrovert dynamic, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's one that comes up so much um, with me in particular because I can often come across as an extrovert and Mm -hmm. I do think that it is true. I do draw energy from being around people. I love being around people. Mm -hmm. I think like I'm most dependably inspired by other people. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I need my alone time. And that doesn't mean I'm Mm -hmm. not an extrovert. It also doesn't mean I'm not an introvert because I deeply Mm -hmm. love my alone time. I love my little worlds inside my apartment alone. Um, I think it's rather that 
uh, we're, we as an I, the royal we, <laughs> is just like an <laughs> economy, right? Like half of yeah. it depends on socialization, but then also the other half, you can't just like all be socialization and external things, goods coming in. You always have to, you have to like produce your own things and have your own things going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to keep that going. But then I think the thing about Bang as well is that it, um, because it's focused on the like yourself, like the individual who's reading it and their body and getting pleasure in their body, it also has to set up these things which are outside of that body, like these myths that we are all surrounded by in culture and society about, um, you know, that that children um, don't um, masturbate or try to masturbate even before puberty, and or that masturbation causes causes erectile dysfunction or that masturbation during menstruation is is bad or dirty it's got all of these myths so I was interested in thinking about the um yeah the way that it's exploring that difference between the interior and the external and setting up that all of these other things from outside are kind of placed on us um and I guess that's also why I was thinking about the introvert extrovert thing um in introvert extrovert thing a little bit about um that we're that we have to move through the world and how that is just something that does influence how we engage with our own bodies which seems like a paradox almost mm-hmm. um yeah and uh i don't know could you say a bit more about that and about the about those myths and and why it was important to include those Yeah, I think that one thing is we absorb so many messages from the external world where it just like slips in. It's not like someone sends you an official declaration to review, right? That would actually be quite nice. (laughs) They just sent you a declaration. (laughs) They're like, these are the things that we believe. Um, Please let us know what you think or don't, you know, but instead it's, it's all these like tiny little like secretive messages that get slipped into our brains from movies, from books, from people talking around us in the coffee shop, et cetera. So I think there is power to writing them all down as this Mm -hmm. is something you've probably encountered. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about how ridiculous it is. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. like people used to think that masturbation makes you blind. And like, once you write that down, Mm -hmm. you're like, that's ridiculous. But if you had heard that in passing, you would yeah. think, oh, that's silly, but you would still absorb the idea that masturbation is bad. Like it is still yeah. something to avoid. It is something that is dangerous. And so writing it down allows you to break it down and be like, where does this come from? Why are people saying this? What are what are the humans, uh, or I guess who are the humans um, mm-hmm. behind this? And what were their agendas? And why mm-hmm. is this something that they felt necessary to spread into my brain? <laughs> Yes, exactly. And the flip side of that is thinking about like future historians who um, who discover, um, you know, your book, bang, <laughs> in a sort of on a, on a on a tablet from the twenty early twenty first century, and say Gotta like, go well, what was? Mason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, what was this person doing, spreading this information, and what were they? What was their intention? And it's quite clear that the intention is. Um, uh, yeah, a version of sexual freedom. It's a, it's about finding pleasure in our bodies um, and whatever our bodies and all of those things. Um, and, and that that comes from a place of having, and that requires, I mean, having to resist these things that are placed on us weirdly by society, by these other dominant um, 
messages. And I guess right. in that we're also talking about the things that we're all living with, like sexism and racism, you know, that we're all swimming in the soup of capitalism, <laughs> all these things as well, right? These are um, they're not just specific myths about masturbation, like it makes you blind, but we're swimming in this in this bigger soup of um, uh, of all these other isms and microaggressions and everything like that. Yeah, um, funny note about future historians discovering Bang on a tablet is that, um, <laughs> so the cover of Bang won an award for uh, from AIGA, which is the American Institute of Graphic Arts, but they don't ever, they, they divorce themselves from the what the letters mean. Anyways, right. um, so it's the 50, one of the 50 best book covers. And because of that, it's in the Columbia Rare Books Library. So oh, amazing. it is possible <laughs> that someday it will be discovered by someone because it's in like an airtight space. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing that it's there. It, it's there forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wondered... Um, uh, if you could say a bit more about the about that context, about that world that the we're soup. living in, and the soup, yeah, exactly the soup. Because I think as well that um, you know I'm in a very pro-sex world um, w- among like my the people that I kind of like hang around with, mm-hmm. um, and um, but I'm also living in a rich country, Britain, and um, you know we are full of. Uh, we we have a class system. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, no, there's I a king. Haven't. Oh, oh, <laughs> that a, one. A, yeah, I've heard of that. There's a king, <laughs> and there's everyone else. Um, you know, and then <laughs> there are people called lords and ladies and silly things like this. Right. So we have this system, and um, I don't usually think about the king or about lords and ladies when I'm also in a conversation about wanking. But I think, <laughs> as you've demonstrated, this thing that we're living in, this system, this society, this structure um yeah to do with you know it has these elements to it and and it they 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 do impinge on our sex life even if we some of us might think like I do that oh you know we're living in a pro-sex world and I'm a pro-sex person um but we're all still part of that bigger system so um how does do those things interoperate as far as you see it Vic? Well historically it's been it, like it, you can't separate history from the taboo right so right. um the the real beginning of western stigma against masturbation and a lot of mm-hmm. being sex positive was during the victorian england where suddenly okay. everything was everyone was in a city and they were like oh no we can't have like people just thinking they can do whatever they want in public with their bodies mm-hmm. horrible so th- the idea and culture of like being civilized quote unquote um Mm -hmm. started to come about and to really begin this culture of policing one's body um Mm -hmm. and so the more you police your body theoretically the more eligible for a higher status um you would be Mm -hmm. um but today i think that there's a lot of interplay that is under discussed between how sex positivity appears and class Um, Mm -hmm. so for example, the difference between your image of a sex toy shop in the middle of Manhattan, um, that has, or for example, even Manhattan's museum of sex, let's say that, um, it is a sex toy shop and it has all of these like beautiful sex toys. I don't think there's anything that's sold there that's under $50. Um, 
Right. And there's like such a market for luxury sex toys. And the way that they've sold it to people is this idea that masturbation can be chic now, right? It it is classy. It is stylish. But it's only stylish and classy and um, beautiful if you spend $200 on a luxury Mm. vibrator, right? Yeah. Um, Or upwards of $80. And I think that we aren't talking about how sex positivity shouldn't depend on you going to a like poly meetup and buying 20 mm. like dollar cocktails or going to a shibari workshop that costs 20 dollars to enter it sorry i am clearly referencing yeah. a very specifically new york <laughs> culture because <laughs> i've got right. beef <laughs> right yes um but in general i don't but, know i mean let's let's not it- necessarily all go to your skeevy sex shop that's like behind the airport or whatever but like let's think about why we don't you know like sometimes it's not necessarily a safe space in terms of the content of their material might be more like at least at least the Mm -hmm. the luxury sex toy world is policed by our standards of like talking about race and including Mm -hmm. some amount of diverse spaces and not fetishizing different races. Um, I don't think it's as inclusive as I would want it to be, but historically it's been a lot worse in terms of what was allowed on the market. Um, Yeah. And I, I wonder about how the internet has changed that because, um, you know, how, um, the, you know, you can buy, people can buy a sex, you can buy a sex, you can buy sex toys online now right. is what I'm saying. And um, that's not to say that those online stores don't have bad ethics or don't have um, uh, bad, uh, you know, bad deals, like, or it's right. too expensive or whatever. Um, but you don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be anywhere near um, a, a, a city that is known to have a, um, a vibrant sexual like culture about it uh you can live in the middle of nowhere and and order things online and i just wonder what that has done for our collective wanking habits um (laughs) and and cutting through things to do with like having to be in the right place or having to have a certain income bracket do you know much about that well immediately when we start talking about online you can't help but think about Amazon, right? So uh, okay, yeah. Amazon has made it much more accessible to get your favorite sex toy shipped yeah. to your door in a yeah. somewhat inconspicuous package. Um yeah. But Amazon's also is super unethical in how they store mm-hmm. and treat a lot of sex toys. So yeah. I personally would not recommend anyone buy a sex toy from Amazon. Um, There's Mm -hmm. a lot of counterfeit sex toys that are going Mm -hmm. on. So people Mm -hmm. make all of these luxury sex toy vibrators, et cetera, using much poorer quality materials um, Mm -hmm. that can result in infection or like it just stores bacteria more than a higher quality Mm -hmm. material. or it can even do things like explode or smoke. There, there have been instances oh, wow. of that where the battery is short-circuited. <sighs> and the problem is that the way that Amazon stores their sex toys is in a warehouse bin. So all, mm-hmm. all of the sex toys go into one bin. So it oh. doesn't, even though it says that it is from this um, luxury company, 
they they don't have that much control over how Amazon ships out their sex toys. And so sometimes you can even receive something from a different vendor um, without knowing it, right? So like a sex toy, even though you ordered from theoretically the brand on Amazon. Right. So there's that. (laughs) Wow. Capitalism sucks. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think often these conver- any conversations about sex, bizarrely, often, well, not bizarrely at all, but they often do end up in the conclusion, capitalism sucks. Yes. Yeah, which is weird because I think a lot of people don't think that these things are connected. Like, they're like, well, that's, you know, your sex is to do with your body and who you fancy <laughs> and everything like that. But actually, our bodies and who we fancy is all part of a bigger context, isn't it? Yeah, if only we could actually compartmentalize. That's a complete myth, the idea of compartmentalization, yes. that you can be like yeah. elated in the sex world and not <laughs> elated at work. Like, I think yes. you're just one person, you know? And yeah. um, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. I really wish it did yeah. <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. I, I also I think that the book also, because of its the way that it focuses on different types of bodies and different kinds of genders, it's written so inclusively, which is just really incredible to see, that it um, it sort of cuts through conversations about um, classism, like what we've talked about, um, racism, sexism, transphobia, things like that, because it sort of doesn't even have to directly reference those but because it's all focused on basically empowering the individual whatever body they have um and i wondered like how do we apart from modeling it in a way that you have done in bang how do we manage to continue having conversations in society that have that same approach to how we talk about masturbation and sex mm. well I think, one, the whole huge rage of everyone against trans people that's going on across the world, I, I feel like we should deal with that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's been so disheartening, horrifying yeah. to watch. Um, it's It just feels like... I don't even know how to say how it feels like. It feels like we were on such a rise. We were like, oh yeah, Yeah. of course, LGBTQ rights, of course, pride, of course, um, trans people are people and that's not all that they are. And then suddenly we're getting slapped in the face with all these eliminations of trans rights, of inclusive materials, especially in the Southern US, of sex um, positive materials being removed from libraries. And of course, abortion rights. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And and so it's, I, I don't really know what comes next, but I do believe that we have to figure out a way to survive as hopeful mm-hmm. individuals. Like, I think that yeah. that is the heart of it. Um, like, how do you care for your ability to have hope? I think that's really yeah. at the heart of like, how do we move forward in this moment of yeah. pretty dark times? And yeah, especially recognizing. Not... Sorry. Sorry. I think like, especially recognizing, living with that hope whilst recognizing the the historically cyclical nature of 
and ignorance and bigotry and how it moves from one target group to another target group and that there's often the same thing underlying it i mean you know a lot of a lot of my work has been in uh, about lgbt history in previous decades and um the next book that i'm doing i'm just doing a lot of thinking at the moment and research on um the what happened with gays and lesbians as a as a group as they were conceived in the 1980s in britain and the same things that were thrown against them that they were trying to corrupt families trying to corrupt innocent children that they were pedophiles um and that they were trying to break down society and that they were a threat to the sort of regular person all of these things are exactly the same things that are now being hurled against trans people and you see throughout all of that time you know that there is there is um resistance to it there is um uh, but there is solidarity and community between people like recognizing that okay this is what they're going to throw at us we'll resist it but we keep going um and and i think that that's just something that um yeah that's what we need that's what we all need in order to like hold our trans siblings yeah. and take care of them at the moment is to carry them through all of that um not to say not fight the bigots right now um but to know that um that these things are cyclical and that they'll move on to another target group. Yeah, I mean, the bigots are not very creative, that is for sure. Yes, <laughs> I don't think yeah, that yeah. they're interested in being creative. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and you I mentioned about that... the Sorry. Sorry, you mentioned about the mat- you mentioned about the materials in schools. Um and I was also thinking about that when I was thinking about bang because I you know, when I was when I was kind of learning to wank I was using this website, Jack in World, which is actually still online. I just checked before I spoke <laughs> to you and it was set up in like the late 90s, which would have been about the time that I was probably starting to do it. And um, and it was all these techniques on how you could wank. I think it was mainly for penis owners and I think it probably still mm-hmm. is, but it does have broader, it has other body types and genitals now. But um, And it's still got this weird late 90s aesthetic to it in the website. <laughs> um, and I just remember learning techniques from that um and uh i was just i kind of wasn't aware of it at the time um but that there was this huge disconnect between what i was looking at there on on the internet on a website called jack in world and what information i was receiving through quote-unquote official sources Mm -hmm. you know like my school and like my sex ed and i was thinking like wow we are still we see we still seem like we're a million miles away from having a book like bang being allowed to be in a school library um, or something like that because right. not only are we miles away from that but the books that are there already which are sometimes just like regular storybooks about um, that include queer people are being removed from libraries like you said in some parts of the US right so there was I even wouldn't... a dictionary that was removed I think Merriam-Webster was removed from a school in Florida because it had wow. like definitions about sex in it so wow. yes it's dark wow wow um yeah so just could you say a bit more about the role that the book that you hope the book can have if it manages to reach the right people at the right time about um maybe specifically about techniques and how should that be should that be sex education uh is that how to do sex ed for teenagers to be honest i'm quite uh, confused as to who drives sex no I, I'm not confused in yeah. fact I know who drives sex education and it's not 
designed, the curriculum is not designed for the happiness of the people or the students. Like it's not something that is designed with how do we give these people the information to be happy individuals, right? The, the, right. It's really designed against teen pregnancy and STIs. Those mm. are the two things. Right. Um, right. And behind a lot of that is this idea that it would just be easier if everyone just didn't have sex, right? Like don't have sex mm-hmm. because you'll get an STI. Don't have sex because you'll get pregnant. Those are the ideas. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that I ever experienced any amount of positive sex ed, let alone conversations about how to have um, consent conversations. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. That wasn't their concern yeah. at all. So it would be really lovely if something like bang were in school curriculum. Um, And it's kind of ironic how much they avoid talking about masturbation because that Mm -hmm. is something you can do without getting pregnant or getting an STI, right? Like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes, exactly. It's the safest form of sex. (laughs) Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, And... If you, yeah, if you, if you listen to yourself, then you can do it right and you can have a good time and um, no one else needs to know about it. Right. <laughs> you don't need to involve anyone else, which right. comes with complications. Um, Vic, this has been a great conversation and I think that's a great place for us to leave it with this image that a book like Bang could be more accessible, more accessed by um, people wherever they are, I guess, on their sexual journey and mm-hmm. with their body. Um, I just really want to thank you for making that book and for bringing different contributors into it, including Andrew Gertzer, who's a previous guest of Free Sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like their piece in the in the book um, from, um, uh, you know, just as an example of different perspectives that need to be brought into a book like that. So, yeah, thank you for that work and um, for sharing the time with me today. Thanks for having me and thanks for appreciating the work. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of free sex, the idea, or the podcast. Leave me a review and a star rating if you can. On social media, I'm at Adam Smith. Yes, that's Smith, but with a Z or a Z. Yeah, Smith. Mm. <laughs> it feels good in the mouth. <laughs> you can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon, hosted, produced and edited by Adam Smith, and the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, good night. Mwah.